Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the APF podcast series. I am Musun Layode, Executive Director of African Philanthropy Forum. Today, I am really excited to have Tanya Masiyua. She is the CEO of Delta Philanthropies UK and CEO of Akelu. What is particularly interesting about Tanya and Delta Philanthropies is that they have been strong supporters of APF since inception, and we have a really long and deep history. It is great to have you, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me, Mosun. Tanya, what is unique about this episode is that you're the first next-gen philanthropist on the APF podcast series, and it will be great to hear the backstory to your philanthropic journey. What are your earliest memories of giving in your family? And what would you say was that moment or the person, the experience that most influenced your approach to philanthropy? Well, uh, the privilege of being a next-gen philanthropist is that there's so many things you see from a distance that influence and shape the way that you see the world. I think for me, it was definitely my relationship with my mom. When she started the High Life Foundation, she believed that to really help people, you have to truly understand their journey and understand how they live and where they came from. And the motto she used was eat what they eat and sleep where they sleep. And as a young child, I was extremely curious about these trips that she would take on weekends. At the time, High Life Foundation wasn't what it is today. And as I began to go along with her, I began to see the stories of all these young people. And that is when philanthropy became a reality to me. It was being able to see how all these young people's lives could potentially be impacted by the work that we were doing as a family and as a foundation. And as time has gone on, as I've engaged in the work that we do in many different ways, I too have been able to put my own stamp on how we tackle some of the complex problems that we see in our communities today. Wow, thank you, Tanya. As you know, I know your mother quite well. Tanya's mom is the pioneer board chair of African Philanthropy Forum, and it's been an honor having her lead us through the early years. And I know that she's deeply passionate about Africa, and she walks the talk. You are CEO Delta Philanthropies UK, you're involved with Higher Life Foundation, CEO of Akello, founder of Simba. There is so much you're doing. You wear many hats. And some of these organizations are independent of the Masiwa family. How do you manage to independently run your organizations and at the same time remain heavily involved in the family's philanthropic activities? Oh, wow. Okay, so how I manage with everything is an answer I do not have. I literally have to take it day by day. But I think the main thing is when you're passionate about something and you're extremely driven, you just want to work on and pursue all some all the ideas that you have. And I think when you're a little bit younger, you're a little you have a little bit more capacity to see how you can be a part of all of them. Um, but the thing that ties everything together is education. And it's not that I'm particularly passionate about education. I'm passionate about changing lives and impacting lives. And education is the most powerful way to do that. And so everything that I'm involved in from the company, uh, the group company, Cassava uh, Technologies, all the way to the independent boards that I serve on, 
the one thing that ties everything together is all of them are people focused. How do you invest in people? And how do you give young Africans the opportunity to thrive and create their own sustainable livelihoods? So it sounds like a lot, but essentially day after day, I'm just looking at one thing, which is how do we invest in people and how do we invest in the future of the continent? Um, and so it gives me an opportunity to really expand my horizons, but in this one area that I believe is part of my purpose. Great, that's fantastic. And how would you describe the transformation that has taken place as a result of your work, you know, in all those facets of your life, especially working in education and working with people? So the great thing about a scholarship is that you get to see, you know, the person who received it sort of follow through life. And at High Life Foundation, we believe in having a human-centered design approach to everything that we do. And what this means is that we design solutions around the person that we're helping. Um, and so with some of the scholarships, you know, from the way that we do the criteria, we get to meet each and every one of our students. And today I get to see some of us, you know, people who receive scholarships from High Life who are running their own businesses. Some are working for massive international companies, your Google, Amazon, Walmart. And I met some of them as peers when we were all teenagers. Um, and so I think the biggest impact is seeing how people's lives are individually transformed. But in more recent years, there've been some exciting projects that we've been working on at Delta, particularly around food security. We call it Reimagine Rural Africa. Just at the start of the COVID lockdown, the World Food Program estimated that more than 8 million Zimbabweans were gonna go into severe hunger that next season. And when we heard this statistic, obviously as philanthropists, we couldn't just sit and do nothing. And one of the things that I personally did was I used my preschool as a feeding center and we got approval from government and people were coming in each and every day and we were serving meals. But we knew that there was a part of that that wasn't sustainable. You know, cooking something, you know, giving it to somebody, it's, it's great, but tomorrow they're hungry again. And the foundation started a program that would train farmers help them with inputs and we would do one plot was for feeding them uh, for the whole season as a family the other plot was for selling it's climate smart agriculture the next season we contributed over four percent of zimbabwe's output in terms of maize and in addition to that many other partners and the biggest one was government worked on the same program and zimbabweans did not go hungry that season so sometimes we see wins in one season and other times we see wins in one lifetime but the amazing thing about philanthropy is sometimes you may think that something isn't working but if you can just change one or two lives you know you've already caused an amazing transformation so most of there's so many things i could share but those are the two that I wanted to focus on right now. Thank you so much, Tanya. Those are two powerful examples. Wins in a season and wins in a lifetime. And they speak to the transformational impact of philanthropy, especially when you directly engage those proximate to the problems. And you speak with so much passion. And next-gen philanthropists like yourself bring new energy and ideas to philanthropy, some of which may be seen as radical or maybe even revolutionary. What are your thoughts on this? 
Um, is it a case of wanting to do things differently from the previous generation? Or should we all be looking at philanthropy differently? I think that like any business, philanthropy also evolves. The same cell phone that was being used 15 years ago, we are most certainly not using it now. Um, I mean, even, you know, when you talk about old ringtones, my little sister doesn't even know what we're talking about, but it's the same thing in our sector. Philanthropy has been evolving over the years. So I don't necessarily think that the next generation has been extraordinarily radical. I think that we've maybe had a little bit more room and flexibility to be part of this wave of innovating faster. Um, I also think that the special thing with next-gen philanthropists is that our parents have trusted us and given us the room to use our skills and our ideas to do things a little bit differently. But most of as much as I would love to take all the credit and say my generation are more bold, we are more this, we are more that, we actually learn a lot from the previous generation. I really think that philanthropy is just evolving and just becoming a lot more innovative. And when we talk about African philanthropy in particular, we have so many social needs and very limited resources. And the only way that we can have the kind of impact we're seeing, especially from our network in recent years, is if we apply these more innovative ideas. Um, and so I think that that's where the radical change is coming from. And I think obviously the next generation, we do have a different way of doing things, but I'm not remiss of the important role that our parents and the previous generation play in the philanthropic sector. What would you say are common misconceptions about next-gen philanthropists. Um, for instance, there's this notion that you're expected to follow in your parents' footsteps. You are the first, Tanya. Is there pressure in that regard? And have you ever been in a challenging situation because of who you are being a next-gen philanthropist? And, and how did you handle it? So the reality is my father is Strive Masiwa and my mother is Pussy Masiwa. They're both, you know, and I believe my father has a, a bit of a stroke of genius and my mom is ultra compassionate. And the biggest misconception, I think, is the silver spoon comment. At the end of the day, I grew up in a home with two people who work at a capacity of 200% and are constantly speaking about ideas, constantly speaking about changing the world. Now, when you grow up in a boiling pot like that, of course, that, that's, that's sort of what it produces, right? It's normal to me for us to, you know, go on holiday, but holiday was actually us working, but in an environment that looks a little different. Um, and so I think that part of the privilege, it isn't a necessarily a resource privilege. The resource privilege is there. The greatest privilege is that, you know, what other people think is, oh my gosh, what an amazing quote. You grow up hearing it as, as everyday language. And so for me, I think the comment of being in someone else's shadow makes me laugh a little bit because my dad's smart. I don't think I'm as smart as him a lot of the time. So I'm not trying to be him and I'm not trying to be my mom either. It's, you know, those are massive, massive shoes to fill. But I do think that the lessons that they have taught me helped shape who I am. Uh, and then I think what was unique with me was that 
be entrusting with responsibility. When I received my board seat at Eco Cash Holdings uh, Zimbabwe, I was probably the youngest and the youngest female to be on a board of a company listed on the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange. It took a lot of trust from the my parents to give me the stewardship of that responsibility. Um, and so I think unique, it is the, tr and also them trusting the training they are bringing that day in me as well. But I don't think I'm in anybody's shadow. Uh, and I most certainly, you know, didn't have it easy. My parents are so tough on us. And uh, from a perspective of, are you working on this, but more of an expectation of who I want to be and the contact I want to leave on the world. Sounds like a very interesting childhood you had there. Can you think of any challenging situation you have been in and how did you handle it? I can think of many, many <laughs> challenging situations. Um, I think the one I'll talk about today, you know, being a young Black professional, you know, at the end of the day, the philanthropy work we do is my profession. I'm a philanthropist, yes, but I'm a professional philanthropist, you know. Uh, we're very strategic in the work that we do. And sometimes it's very difficult to see very many women with a seat at the table. Uh, and this is one of those that has really motivated us as a foundation to have a strong investment in the employment of women and girls. And that, you know, also led to my mom making the decision to participate in the gender fund. But when it comes to decisions being made, uh, especially in our sector, NGOs get funding from somewhere. And oftentimes the people who make the decision about the funding don't have a lot of diversity. So, you know, I've been in so many situations where I'm invited to a meeting or I go to a meeting on behalf of our foundation. And, you know, I... I'm put in the room of the secretaries and I'm missing out on discussions until someone discovers that, oh, oh, you know, a female black woman can also be a decision maker. Um, and I can tell many stories around that, but I think that I'm proud of the stride we are making uh, in philanthropy around women getting positions in decision-making contexts. But I would most certainly say that being a young black female in the working world as a whole has been one of the biggest challenges that I wasn't quite prepared for. We talk about it, but the reality when you step out into the world is a totally different ball game. Thank you so much, Tanya, for shedding light on that. And for the benefit of our listeners, the Africa Gender Fund is committed to raising $50 million over the next 10 years to close the gender gap on the African continent. That's an initiative we're very proud to be a part of at the African Philanthropy Forum and is being led by our board chair, Mrs. Sitsin Masiwa. So Tanya, in closing, there are a few first-generation wealth holders who are also strategic philanthropists and their children are coming of age and getting involved in philanthropy. Given your experience, and we have heard so much from you today, I can't even begin to imagine how much more you could share. We probably need files to cover your experience. What counsel do you have a growing number of philanthropists, not just in terms of generational wealth transfer, but also to any young Africans who are getting more involved in strategic be Bold and be honest. You know, the key thing is we have to earn our seat at the table. 
Uh, I look at my own journey. I've had to ensure that I'm educated enough to do the work that I do, to make sure that I am bold enough to do the work that I do, especially when many, many people believe that you are not capable. You have the strength from within to pursue all of the things that you want to. The second thing is don't put yourself in a box. The world has defined philanthropy as one thing. And there is a conception that you have accumulated a lot of to have impact. But the High Life Foundations were 10 scholarships. There was no dream of getting to 300,000 scholarships as we have done now in year 25 when the foundation began. And even when I began my preschool, I didn't think much was going to come out of my work in early childhood education. But when you take it step by step, day by day, you will see an impact that you yourself may not have even calculated you would attain. And then the last thing I'll say is work with others. Oftentimes your journey can feel like you're on an island, but there's probably somebody somewhere who is attempting something similar or has walked that journey. Having the humility to learn from others, being able to collaborate with others amplifies the potential impact that you can have as an individual. But I think the main thing is just being unafraid. Thank you very much. It has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Mosun. The APF gave me my first opportunity to engage in philanthropy as a professional, and that is a huge part of me. So thank you so much for having me on this podcast.